Hello everyone, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Curiosity Complex with me, Nat. Today I have a fantastic guest on who I've known for a few years now and I can't wait to hear what he says. Um, it should be really interesting. It is um, near Halloween when we're recording this, so fireworks are going off in and around my house. Um, so if you hear dogs barking, I apologise. I'll try and mute myself as best as possible, but I can't always anticipate it. So, um, yeah, let's get straight into it. Without further ado, I will let my guest introduce himself. Hey, yeah. Uh, I'm Owen. Uh, I'm 22. I've just finished uni. Uh, I'm now living and working in London as a trainee pharmacist. And... Uh, sort of like to spend my free time away from London in the mountains or in the forests running about with a map most of the time uh, of unusual sport yeah yeah that is unusual okay cool um so what university did you go to uh I studied at Bath oh yeah and I uh did a four-year degree in pharmacy there hence why I am now doing my training year as a pharmacist so i'm spending uh one more year and this time paid which is quite nice but basically right. studying at the same time yeah uh, at king's and after i finish this year i'll have done uh sort of a year's training and then sit a quite a tough exam and provide that pass that i get to be a pharmacist so that's the aim yeah sick that's really cool okay so um Let's talk a bit more because I'm sure people are massively intrigued by <laughs> you running around mountains and forests with a map in your hand. So tell us a bit about what, what you do in your spare time. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it's kind of like my big passion is uh, a sport called orienteering. Um, and basically, most people probably would have heard of it or done some sort of form of it at school. But it basically involves uh, taking a map and finding what we call controls in a certain order normally like one through to however many they've decided to put out and you i guess it's like cross country mixed in with sort of fell running and some other sports but it's like the navigation important as the running so yeah. what i like about it is it's not always the fittest person that wins but uh, also the smartest and uh, sort of the one that picks the best route and can read the map the quickest and uh and sort of depending on the event there's a lot of other sort of contributing factors as well some sort of um uh, mental games and and that sort of thing we should talk about in a bit i suppose but um yeah it's basically running around with a map trying to force uh the, the most effective course and the quickest course faster than everyone else really is what orienteering is oh that's really interesting that's amazing so i am um, i personally have um no experience or know very little about what you do um, and orienteering in general. Sure. Uh, I I can read a map, but I wouldn't expect me to do it any any like in a quick, high pressure situation. Oh dear, that's my alarm telling me that we have a podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So th there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that because, like you say, it's not only about how fast you're running, but also how fast you can read the map, how fast you yeah. can, uh, well, what route you pick. Um, what sort of do you choose the route before you do it or do you choose the route whilst you're doing it uh yeah so uh well the first thing i should say i suppose is like you say you can read a map so the maps we have are very very specific to orienteering a lot of the time as well so that takes some getting used to when 
I mean, that certainly took me a little while to get used to. Yeah. Um, so very specific colours mean different things. And it's all it's all mapped based on how fast you can run through a certain bit of... It's normally in the woods. So, okay. for example, like uh, if it's white on the map, that means it's forest and that you could run at your full speed through that forest. Okay. And the darker the green uh, the forest gets, the harder it is to run to the point where it's like really dark green and they call that fight and they consider that basically impossible to go through. I've made the mistake of trying to go through that, and I can I can definitely say it is a fight as they describe <laughs> it. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the the mapping is quite specific to the sport, and it basically enables you the better you know the mapping, and as you practice and you learn, that's when you can make these sort of decisions. So you can uh, you I, yeah you you pick the map up at the start having not seen it before, okay, um, and that's when you you start the time. So you're normally there's like electronic timing system, yeah. and uh, pick up your map, and then you just or, or maybe it'll take a few minutes to sort of plan your route and basically for the, the sort of the simplest form of the sport you're going control one to control two to control three to control four and you have to sort of look at these sort of is it, if I went left is it going to be faster than if I went right because there's more green on the right you know where I'm gonna to have to fight a bit harder or yeah. maybe if I follow the path it's actually a longer distance but I know I can go at full speed on the path so maybe that's going to be easier or there's going to be something that I can I know that when I go through that gate that's going to I know I can slow down and start looking for it because it's easier if I do that than trying to run across a open woodland where there's not much to pick up on or things yeah. like that. It's sort of these decisions that are based on the map, but also based on your personal ability. So some people who maybe aren't faster runners will go, I'm going to go straight across the brambles and the, the like, you know, through the forest because I know that I'm not going to be able to keep up on the, or it's not so much keeping up, but I know that I'm not going to be as fast as some of the fastest guys on but I know that by taking a shorter route, I might be able to beat them or get yeah. closer to them that way. And, you know, the great thing about it is you see like these 80 year olds out there and uh, with their sort of walking stick and they are just walking control to control. But they're so accurate with their navigation. Yeah, that they um, they just like hit the controls bang on. And then there's someone like me who's maybe not quite so good at my navigation, but I'm fast and I'm sort of like sprinting towards where I know it's going to be see it or hoping that i can run back and forth a little bit to find it or yeah you're trying to do that a little bit less but that is sort of uh that's why it's such a great sport is it's so inclusive because there's more to it than just being able to run and um you see families out there with push chairs and things like that because although they're going off the path they 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 get to they can still get the same enjoyment from it because it's the challenge of the, the navigation and the uh and the like uh sort of it more than just that it's just a sport that you wear as you in a cross-country race it's just the fastest guy wins normally yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, i don't know if i answered the question there but i uh, no, no, that's I'm, a little bit more about it yeah yeah uh, that's you know. interesting wow okay so i have to ask because this is not in any way a mainstream sport like you mentioned it's for any any and all people um so how, yes. how did you get involved in this uh, so when i was quite young maybe well so i should say my my dad here a lot and my mum and well, I think that's how they met through an oh, orienteering right. stuff at, at university or something <laughs> like that. so I suppose it's, it's been part of my family a lot but uh, yeah. I didn't do it a huge amount when I was younger I sort of did it when I was maybe like between the years of like uh, ages of about eight and ten and then um then I went off to secondary school and I just like it didn't fit in with my school as you know we went to school together like there was a lot of sport to be done and there was 
often sport of the weekends and things like that. So I just been, didn't really get a chance to do any. And then uh, I sort of was going to uni and I was like, oh, yeah, I'd really like to get back into that. And unfortunately, Bath didn't have an orienteering club at all. Um, and it's, there's not that many unis that do. There's sort of a handful of unis that have uh, orienteering clubs and some of them are very, very good. But there's not the sort of the, not everything. You don't see it every single uni. So I was a bit yeah. disappointed, but I didn't, it didn't really bother me. And I, and I sort of just got involved with other things at uni. So I did like, you know, some running and I got quite involved with club um and did quite a lot of like sort of mountain running and navigation obviously through that but not specifically orienteering and then just in my final year at uni I thought you know what I think maybe this would be something that the mountaineering club would really like so I sort of just sort of floated the idea got in touch with the local club like Bristol orienteering club which is a uh, the biggest in the country and uh, were absolutely brilliant in helping us get stuff going at the uni uh, like full credit to them they were so helpful yeah uh, so I just sort of got this sort of a little group of people going to the local events. You know, I drove the minibus to them and we sort of taught people how to read a map. And there's a, a guy who just joined in the first year of uni and he was uh, he'd done our intern before uni. And so he came up to me and we sort of got it going as a pursuing the two of us. Uh, and we managed to send a team to like the Bucks competition, the British oh, yeah. University Colleges competition, which was really cool. That was like a weekend up in Edinburgh. So we had like an individual race on the Saturday and then um, it's like a relay on the Sunday good to get sort of our get our face known in the within the university sphere a little bit and we didn't yeah. get a really good result but we all had a, a great weekend up in Scotland orienteering so yeah. sort of uh, that's how I kind of got into it again and then uh, so I've only really been doing it seriously again for about a year now um, but you know I've just absolutely fallen, fallen back in love with it really um, and got my dad back into it again which is really cool that's and awesome. uh, yeah we've got a few people from what I hear now, even though I've left, there's an even bigger group doing it at the university now. So I think uh, hopefully we've started something quite cool there at the uni where there'll be a, a maybe even a, 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 its own orienteering club soon. Because at the moment it's still sort of running through the, the uni mountaineering club. Yeah. Um, but I think it'd be quite good if we could get it to be its own uh, yeah. own club at some point. But yeah, so that's how I got so, into it. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea I was talking to the founder of the Bath University Orienteering Club. <laughs> Um, that's that's amazing that's so so amazing all right well i have i have a question in terms of the map reading itself yeah that, that's probably one of the main parts um yeah it's, and, it's an important skill yeah yeah i, yeah, I, I agree and i think my, well, my, my question is are you reading whilst you're running or are you read do you stop read the map and then go yeah i'm going there and then run because i feel like if i did that i'd just fall over yeah, yeah. I, well, that's all over a lot. I will admit that, but that's maybe just because I'm not so uh, good. At it. I do try and read the map when I run, um, but it's taken me quite a while to get to that point. And I think if I was, you know, going to say to anyone who's starting out, I'd say just go out. Don't worry about the time. Don't worry about the speed, and just like try and be accurate and try and learn the navigation side of things because we can all get faster by training or by you know, just over time we'll get faster, but actually the skills you really need to try and take the time and force yourself to slow down and learn are those navigation. So, yeah, at the moment I, I do read the map on the run as best I can, Yeah, uh, which can be quite tricky, you know, when you're like sweaty and you've got a bit of sweat in your eyes or you're just like trying to look up and down, like you say, look up to see if there's a branch going to hit you yeah. and look down, there's a route yeah. about to trip you up, yeah. see if you need to avoid a pond whilst also trying to read a map and your compass and 
so there is uh, difficulties and you know i find there's also something called urban orienteering where it's sort of around cities and and oh, part and that's a little bit easier to read your therefore the times are a lot quicker because people can't do that so um yeah i guess the best guys will just never stop running um yeah. but there's obviously I, that's the real the enjoyment for me is that it's like oh if i just take a pause here and make a decision rather than blund- like blundering off into the woodland without really thinking about it or uh, not being 100 certain then actually that's probably a better decision because although it might come off if i just go sprinting off into the woods actually i I can't be sure and if it goes wrong then i've then it's then i've lost a load of time and then i've lost a load of positions and i'm probably not gonna do as well as i want so it's uh it's yeah it's that's part of the balance i guess yeah how i'm gonna read the map and uh what what's the best uh sort of decision for me it's about knowing your knowing your own skills i guess it's quite a key part of our intern because there will be people who come sprinting past you or you might go sprinting past them and then five minutes later you'll bump into them at the next control and they'll have come from a completely different direction and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you'll think ah oh, i wonder how that happened i remember like one day one event I was, and i was having a really good run i was really pleased with myself and i made this decision and i slogged it up this hill and i re- it was a really hot day and you have to wear full leg, leg cover because you can't don't want to get tick bites so i was in oh. these leggings and i was just mm. absolutely baking yeah got to this hill turn to the right and start running down this gully and i who I'd just overtaken at the, on the way to the previous one, just sort of come into the controls 30 seconds ahead of me from a completely different direction. I just looked <laughs> at my map and go, I, I just could have gone around this hill, you know? Yeah, so it's yeah. like, and, you know, and he obviously, I, you know, I think I was a faster runner than him, but he had a much better decision there and beat me by over 30 seconds to that control. So, you know, it shows that's just a good illustration, I suppose. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And there's obviously, it's, it can be more marginal than that serious you know so it's uh it just depends really yeah okay well how let's let's talk about the basics for a bit then how uh what, what does a control look like i'm guessing it's a do you, is there like a clicker thing on it that you have to do save I, there? yeah so that's so it, a lot of people might seem like the orange and white flags i think we, we call them kites because it's basically like a stake in the ground which is maybe like uh like thigh height and it's got an orange and white flag on it and then it used to be things that used to pinch paper with um and but nowadays it's all electronic so uh you there's like different timing systems like you have a dibber or email i think they're called and they're basically you just hold them on you sort of hold them on your finger or on your hand and then at the start you click you sort of tap it against the box that's on top of the stake and then uh, at each control you 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 like retap the top of it and that sort of saves the data and then at the end be like paying with contactless then very similar yeah it's very similar um and you can it's now it's now you can actually do it as contactless so the one i've got i only have to be within half a meter of it so on some of the urban races and the sprint races which are all done in like cities and towns yeah you're really trying to like run at your fastest pace you know you're basically (laughs) flat out so there's no time to like stop and put put the thing in a hole or so you just sort of waft it on the way past and so the (laughs) technology is quite quite fancy and i guess it probably is similar to that contactless more yeah. further away yeah okay so how um how big are, are the courses how how kind of what's the kind of average time you'd be running for normally yeah so the, the why this is sort of the, another thing i think is really good, cool about the sport and why it's so inclusive is it's not um 
in the UK at least, I think elsewhere it can be a little bit different, but in the UK it's done on a colour-coded system. Uh, so it goes from a white uh, through to a black is the top one. and Ski runs, I suppose, but it's, um, and it's done on technical difficulty and then, it's, and, and then length. So like the white one and the yellow one, which is sort of the bottom two, those are super easy and all your controls will be on a path and they're probably going to be like one or two kilometres long, the course. And then up to like a black course, which uh, I did one in Easter is sort of the big of the biggest event in the UK is called the JK, and I think it was it was twenty one k. Well, okay, that's, that's a pretty well, long distance then. Yeah, and, and I think yeah, and that was a, the straight line distance, so that doesn't oh, wow. take into account that you might run along a path. So, so I think I ran about twenty four twenty five k. I can't quite remember. Yeah. So obviously, there's a huge scale of the length, and then within that there's all these what they call technical difficulties so the top top ones are all technical difficulty five and the bottom ones are zero or one and you can work your way up and find sort of what suits you so like most starting will probably start with it what's a yellow course or an orange course so yeah. then there's a technical difficulty one and two i think uh, potentially yeah or might be two and three but basically that that's a great place to start if you ever want to go and try an orange course because they'll probably be short enough that you can not be completely exhausted but also challenging enough at least initially that you'll get a chance to get used to what the maps are like and stuff like that yeah. and then from there you can move up through i think it's called a light green as a technical difficulty four so that's a good nice sort of like intermediate sort of stepping up towards that and then it goes after that all the uh, green blue brown and black are sort of all technical difficulty five and that's sort of for the experienced orienteer yeah. So, and that, and they, the only difference between those courses is the, the length so the older people might do the, the shorter ones and the sort of 21 year olds and my kind of age group we do like the, the longest ones yeah. um but the great thing is you it's not age banded so like in some uh some countries i think they do it by age band so you know if you were coming along to try sport uh, in the the m21 so the over 21s category which yeah. would be the hardest hardest course and then you, you know if you didn't know much about it you'd just be like oh sign up and do that one and you'd like you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know it would be just <laughs> demoralizing and you know awful and that's why it's so great that we do it by a color system and i don't know if that was a conscious decision but it's, i think it's great that you can just it doesn't matter the colors are relevant it's just what what we call it and you can just start with what's appropriate to you and work your way up and, and find what you enjoy sort of thing so that's yeah, yeah. color systems that's well interesting i love that it's really cool you're inspiring me now i want to do it um, well yeah you should and like, i think <laughs> it's it's such a, like i you know i mean obviously i i people can probably tell i absolutely love it and so I, I think everyone should try it but i think like you know you don't have to be a runner you can walk it you can uh they even do mountain biking ones so you can cycle some of them sweet. So that sort of thing. Really? i've never tried that but uh you know like there's so it's sort of there is something for everyone whatever your and whatever your map reading ability is is you know there's something for everyone and i think the thing about all the orienteers i've met they might we're all a little bit unusual maybe but we're all very very friendly and people are there to help and every event you go to there's people with sort of t-shirts on saying here to help how can i help you know and yeah. now people will people will even go to the point where they'll they'll walk around courses with you to teach you because everybody's because it's so niche everyone's so passionate about it and they love it yeah. so much that we want more and more people to get involved with it and particularly people of our age and like younger because there's quite a lot of get a lot of older people who do it um just because i think it, you know it was popular a while ago maybe and yeah just because 
people tend to sort of get into it as they get older and you get a lot of children who do it and then they sort of like exactly like I did stop doing it in their teens and stop doing it uh, at university and stuff so it's kind of trying to get that age group to get involved because those are the people who can really like you know push a sport forward with things like social media and stuff because uh, it is not particularly strong to be honest with you but yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that's sort of so yeah it's, there's something for everyone and there's so many and everyone's there to really encourage new new members I think yeah so is I'm also intrigued because I I guess is some of the attraction being in surrounded by nature sort of thing yeah so uh for me certainly i think like i um which is why it's unusual that i now live in london i suppose yeah <laughs> i yeah so i mean i all my life i've kind of been more of an outdoorsy kind of person we've sort of always done family holidays uh you know walking holidays and, and like i say through university my biggest hobby really was sort of fell running and mountaineering uh, and then towards the end orienteering so i guess yeah i think some of the some of it for me is just that ability to sort of escape and I think because it's such an involved sport, you know, you, if you go for a run, you, your mind can still be thinking and, and strains of life and of work and stuff like that. But you go orienteering, you, you haven't got any time to think about anything except for the map and for the what's around you. And because you have to be so accurate with what is around you, you do end up looking at what's around you and you get to see the nature and you get to see the shape of the countryside around you or the, the woodland and you see all the animals and the um you know and i mean i, I saw uh, one of my favorite moments in orienteering is i was sort of coming out of this divot I was, where the control was in the ground i popped my head out over the top and just see this ginormous just like who comes like blundering past me and i don't you know like the likelihood of me running in the forest of dean where it was off a path is quite small so the likelihood of me seeing a ball maybe is, is quite is quite like unlikely but because it takes you away from the rat run and takes you away from where all the paths are yeah. you do end up getting sort of see these cool things that maybe not everyone gets to see so it's amazing that's such an incredible experience it was it was it was pretty scary to be honest with you I mean, yeah huge, they're big aren't they they are big aggressive things aren't they yeah i mean luckily it was not interesting to me at all but i just i, I was just shocked by the size of it. i don't know how thought how big i thought boars were but it was <laughs> just massive well you see the lion king they're not not the same species because they're from africa but you know yeah they, they look about the same size as a meerkat. They're portrayed as the same size as a meerkat. Yeah. Lion King. I don't. Not. I don't think that's true. No. <laughs> <laughs> not quite accurate. No. <laughs> oh dear, that's amazing. Though I love that. Yeah, no, it's really cool, and I think that, like you say, part of it is being able to escape into those kind of woodlands and stuff that you don't normally get to see in, from that side of things, anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, like I say, I I am genuinely actually really inspired. I do want to do it. It sounds fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like if like if people are keen to get involved, the best thing to do is, is have a look at like the British Orienteering website. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool website, and it's got uh, I think it has a section called Get Involved. So have a click on that. That might um, help. But I think it's like go along to like a local event. There's clubs like all over all over the country. Um, and they'll they'll run most of them will run events like at least once a month on a Saturday or something. And you can just sort of turn up and just like just say, look, I'm new to orienteering. I'd really like to have a go. What would you recommend I do? And they'll someone there will be able to help you. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah. And uh, you don't have to be a member or anything like that. You just turn up and you. It's normally I don't know. It's normally maybe maybe a tenner at most, but normally a lot less than that. Maybe five. Yeah, yeah, decent. And you get to hire the timing chip and you just 
all you really need is a compass and, and on some of the easier easier courses you probably don't even need that so i think yeah like have a look at the website for sure and website and people should, like it's quite quite a lot of information on there yeah on a, on a personal note do they allow dogs they do at some event uh okay. it uh, then it'll always say on like the instructions about whether they uh, are allowed dogs. Sometimes it'll be like dogs are only allowed in the car park. Dogs will be allowed on the course. Yeah. So it all depends on sort of the landowner. So a lot of the difficulty right. with orienteering is getting permission to get all these people traipsing around woodlands because a lot of woodlands <laughs> are either, they're, you know, they're either National Trust or like, um, you know, Forestry England or where I can't remember what it's called, or they're like privately owned sort of shooting places and stuff. And that's when people might have problems with dogs and stuff because they've got pheasants and the, yeah. and the like. But yeah, often, you know, you'll often see people with dogs or, or at least dogs in the car park and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, interesting. That's so interesting. I, I really, I really haven't heard. I don't know if it's just me, but I haven't heard about this like barely at all. I only know about it through you, really. Yeah, um, I think. Well, I just, I don't think it's. I think it could do with improving its profile. But like I say, because of the nature of a lot of people who compete in it being uh, that bit older, I think yeah. things like so, social media haven't really taken off yet. And fair enough. And where, where people are trying, I think it's it's not quite probably not quite hitting the the spot because I think sports are getting hugely popular like you look at like the rise of things like triathlon and yeah. and, and, and yeah. like obstacle course racing and stuff and like all these really physical challenges well like yeah. in my opinion like orienteering like going out and running on pathless terrain is honestly one of the most sa- energy sapping physically demanding things yeah that you can do if you want to make it that way if you want to really push yourself it's really tough so yeah. these are, you know it, it is a sort of adventure sport and it and and depending on the nature of the the events you do you know there are some of really uh like i just just this last weekend i've done one that's sort of a much bigger scale which is basically out in the mountains and that's you know people like people got the photos and people sort of started making their real social media out of out of that and then i think suddenly you'd start picking people would be a lot more interested but it's yeah, just in sort of the way it's been being advertised at the moment yeah i'm actually um you're being a great guest Owen. thank you that's um, all right you've you've just put me on to another question that i had um well, not a question, more a kind of a public statement that you uh, that rate that race that you mentioned um, earlier. Yes, I believe you won. I I won. Yes, I did win at the weekend. I won my class um, yeah. within a race. So, yeah. yeah. So I yeah I could talk about that race a little bit. Please please that's, do. Yeah, please do. That's sort of orienteering. It's actually it's what they call a mountain marathon, and a mountain marathon is a um, what is it? It's it's an orienteering it's a f- sort of a fell race and it's also a bit like dv so okay. you it's uh, a two-day race generally there's a few there's one one day one that i know of but um i'll talk about that in a bit but it's two days generally uh you do it in pairs normally or there's a couple of individual events but it's normally in pairs and you basically between the two of you you carry all of your food all of your sleeping equipment your tent for two for out camping um and you also navigate your way from the start via controls in the same way as orienteering to the overnight campsite you then sleep there for the night and then you come back via a different route the next day um so the one idea was called it's called the original mountain marathon um it's like well it it is the original it was originally called the uh carrymore international mountain marathon and again um i got into that kind of because my years ago 
and while I was at university I was in the like um like university officer training course so like the army reserve sort of thing and uh one of the leaders uh within that was uh, also very into this and he kind of facilitated my opportunity to do it um which uh, you know something I'd always wanted to do but never really sorted out myself so he kind of um got got gave me that opportunity and then my partner and I um have done three years now um yeah. and there's there's different classes again in a similar way to uh orienteering as the color classes but this time it's uh, like that ABC, ABC. So there's the, well, there's the elite course, which is like a very long course. Um, and then you've got ABC. And then after you have your something called a, a long, medium, and a short score. So oh, the yeah. score classes are um, a time based class. So you have, I think, on the short score, which is the one I used to, I did a couple of years, uh, five hours to get from the start to the finish. And you get and you just at the start you get given a map with all these points on it, and each point or each control has a certain number of points allocated to it. Yeah. And basically, within five hours, you have to get from the start to the finish and collect as many points as you can. Basically, okay. Um, cool. so there's some real tactics involved in that. And yeah. uh, in my first year, we absolutely nailed the tactics, and we sort of managed to place on the podium. And then last year, we did the same course and absolutely like completely um ran like 32k on the first day oh. ran further than the eventual leaders that day but placed like 50th so like we you know so there's some real skill to picking the right course and and you know uh and that brings in like another aspect on top of being able to map read on top of being able to run but actually being able to just look at a map and, and choose the correct route and the correct places to go as well as the map reading so yeah those are like the score classes and then this year i after last year's to do a, what's called a line class and that's basically like orienteering you go from the start via one two three four five however many it is to the finish and that's just the fastest time wins so a little bit less thinking involved in that yeah, but, uh, yeah. sort of like a more of a fell running race because the navigation is not particularly tricky particularly as my my partner and i are both orienteers so we're quite used to the, the navigation side of it yeah um yeah. so it was a just a big old slog <laughs> yeah. but kind of what i like about this event is it adds like even more to on top of orienteering so you need to be able to run or this year it was mainly hiking because it was just like knee deep bog and heather to bash our way through because it wasn't a single path so we did a lot of fast walking um yeah, yeah. so how fit you are basically your navigational skill and like if how you can deal with the map and your compass but then there's sort of the mental game because basically you're out for on the side of a hill in what could be pretty horrible conditions and sort of like with a partner who you need to be able to manage your relationship with them because you know especially when you're having to make decisions on a route it can very easily fall out and I see a lot of every year I've done it I've seen these pairs who are just bickering and shouting at <laughs> each other yeah. and you know my partner and I pride ourselves on our ability to have much we're angry at the other person to not let that affect basically that's if that happens it starts to fall apart and i always like this like you know you see pairs out on the hill and the further apart they are the worse they're getting on is my sort of feeling like if one of them sort of stormed <laughs> off in the lead and the other's trying to keep up then that's normally yeah. not a good sign uh, and then, so then on top and then on top of that there's like your personal admin because you're basically out on the mountain so you need to be able to keep yourself warm you need to be able to keep yourself dry you need to be able to like stop stop your blisters forming you need to be able to 
calf stuff so this year my partner and I both had blisters so we, we probably fell down a little bit in that category we sort of didn't look after our feet properly yeah maybe didn't anticipate what the ground was going to do to our feet so we didn't really tape them up beforehand or anything like that um and then the, the sort of the last thing is the food aspect I know you mentioned on one of your podcasts about like like being trying to cycle up a mountain and just having like no energy or anything yeah. like that and I think a lot of these races half of the battle is just being able to like fall when the last thing you want to do is eat so that you don't end up in tears and like because you're literally in tears like i've been on the side of mountains just in tears because i just feel so ill and i have no energy and it's literally because i've not not eaten a cereal bar an hour ago because yeah. i didn't really fancy it so there's so so many aspects to the race and like the you know and that was kind of why it was set up many years ago i think from what i understand of the history of it it was just set up with a by probably i think a bunch of blokes in the pub basically were trying to argue who, who was the best mountain basically they said we'll devise an event which tests all of these skills that are required to be a mountaineer so it's not just being able to move fast it's not just being able to read a map it's not just being able to keep warm it's not just being able to cook yourself food and and eat like eat food or whatever it's and it's not just being able to like mentally stay strong it's the combination of all of those things that produces the eventual winner supposedly yeah Uh, so that's why you know that's i think that it's an awesome event because of that and i think it really does test that those skills and your relationship with your partner and your uh, and all of these things yeah what being in an absolutely stunning location most of the time you know yeah. this year we're on the coast in scotland in a place called, near a place called largs so you're sort of like on these beautiful moorland with this just view over the sea to the Isle of Iran and stuff like that and luckily well depends how you look at it but we have really good weather this year so it's just sort of sunshine well, a little bit of poor weather but generally just good views and you know and previous years it's been in we we're in the black mountains last year and south wales and the year before we did it in langdale in the lake district so like some some of my favorite places in the world and some of it just like just brilliant uh, get you know and it gives people this opportunity to go out into mountains in a safe environment but also really testing themselves and testing their skills yeah yeah wow that sounds amazing that sounds incredible yeah i, I mean like i say you know it's passionate about these sorts of sports and i think it it really is just facilitating people to test themselves and and this is another great example of like you know why it's not a bigger sport why it's not more popular i, I don't really know because it's yeah. it is that classic, like oh gnarly i'm really you know like people really like affiliate with these sort of things these feelings yeah. of being really cool and, and 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 i think maybe and i guess maybe, i think that this on the original mountain marathon is really growing to are selling out and they are at capacity now um but that's because it's been going for so long but there's other events you know there's uh running throughout the year i'm doing one in january i literally entered it just before i started this with you and it's like an overnight one so it's the same principle yeah. but rather than doing over two days you do over one night so you start at like 10 or 11 at night and it's all like night navigation which obviously oh, adds like sweet. the extra yeah difficulty. yeah and i did i did that one last year and it was like one of the most awesome nights how i think i've ever had uh <laughs> like you know running through that blizzard because it's in january as well so it's yeah. in the winter blizzard conditions in the pitch black trying to find little orange flags with like one of your best mates it's yeah it's pretty awesome and you know i know you have some pretty low moments at times but it's also kind of in hindsight and in those low moments kind of get sort of overshadowed by those just like euphoric moments of finding these little orange 
and you just don't know really where you are or you're not 100 percent sure your compass bearing was quite right or something like that and you just this you know i can't really explain the feeling but it's pretty special when you find these sort of these moments with your with a good mate and you're freezing cold you're hungry and you feel a bit sick and all of this combined so yeah yeah that's amazing that's so interesting i'm so inspired i want to do it it sounds um, it sounds really similar to the dw race that we we both did back in the good old days um, i mean the, some of the challenges are exactly the same like the the eating is the one that i've just always struggled with like, i don't know how you found that during that dw but well i think like, the, the difficulty is you're self-sufficient in those races aren't you so yeah it's kind of it's tough to i totally i totally understand it's tough to because when you're pushing yourself that hard you don't you don't want to eat you don't you don't sit there going oh i'd love a roast dinner right now you just don't want to eat. you lose your appetite and you're often eating these and you'll know from as well you're often having these like sugary gels or yeah, grim, uh, grim. this yeah. this i took i actually took a cheese and marmite sandwich just for a bit of variety and like it was just it was just lush like to have this non <laughs> like you know just to have something that you wouldn't like it's, and it was a bit hard to chew and it was but it just was a different flavor you know when yeah. you're just filling yourself with like sugar because all you're doing basically is trying to survive until the end aren't you you're just trying to give yourself constantly keep this flow of calories into your body um and i think on that dw race i i think i just had loads of jam like little jam squares squares. yeah 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 yeah. and just like like our parents just like shoving them in our like in our mouth and our (laughs) hands and just like and then off we off we kayaked off we canoed again until we saw them again like a few miles later and uh yeah, and I guess that's quite similar in the fact that we we had we camped as well. Um, I think the thing about DW would be if we if you had to carry all your tent and stuff would be a joke. Is uh, that's yeah. the problem with the, the yeah. mountain marathon is you basically you can't carry very much stuff. And like people were mocking me and my partner for having quite big rucksacks, you know, because we yeah. were like, oh yeah, we're going to try and stay warm. And honestly, I was freezing like that night, like you know, Saturday night, I was just so cold. You know, it's like. And because I, I had no roll mat, I had this sort of two season sleeping bag. I had every layer I owned on and I still wasn't sleeping very well because I was too cold. And people were saying that we'd got a lot of kit. So some of those people must be so cold. But yeah. that's the challenge is like that. It, it's again, it's another skill. It's like, do I take a roll mat? Do I take a bigger sleeping bag? It's going to weigh me down. I'm going to have to run slower. But will I then re- perform better on day two because I'm going to have more energy because I've slept better? True. So again, you know, it's like this sort of this big uh like game you play i guess it's sort yeah. of multifaceted race i suppose in that that aspect and you do get people who honestly like have i think guys maybe have a, a bag that weighs two to three kilos and you also get guys who probably have bags that weigh 40 to 45 kilos wow and they they genuinely have got like double air mattresses and four season sleeping bags Jeez. but they're out there for a walk you know and that's the great thing about again it's the same as orienteering is if you do like particularly the short score event i think i heard an interview with the guy who organizes it he said the finish and the start are always about 10 kilometers away from each other so if you can walk in five hours um which most people probably can most reasonably fit people can probably do he's like you can finish the you can complete the course so for, yeah. oh, that's on the easiest course so people just you know people of all abilities and generally people who understand the mountains i wouldn't really recommend you do it without at least one of your team understanding sort of mountain craft and a bit of navigation and how to deal with some tricky situations. But it it does sort of, it is fairly accessible to most, most 
find people, you know. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's so cool. I had no idea that thing that this whole thing even existed. That is so yeah. cool. love it. It's the same thing with orienteering, isn't it? People just don't know about it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the sports psychologist in me is is bashing down the door. Um, <laughs> what what has been some of the, kind of your more difficult situations you found yourself in from like a psychological perspective in these these races uh, um it's a good question and I, I sort of was hoping we might talk about this a little bit because i think my my mental strength is sometimes something that lets me down a little bit when i'm particularly in some shorter races where i'm like you know in a 5k or something when i'm just trying to push myself to the limit yeah but you're right in these big races you get you do get some really horrible moments i mean one that i just remember so vividly is in the in the race that we did my mate and i did overnight we were we like i said we'd, we'd run across this huge plateau just open moorland where we had like ankle deep snow and it was blizzarding and we couldn't see anything we were just following our compass we ran and we found this control and there was this huge elation and then we're sort of thinking right we need to start heading back now we've got quite a way to go we turn and we're pushing hard and then we dip down and find this the next control and then just then i was like i haven't eaten for a little while you know and yeah. I was like, all right, I better start eating. And I just felt so ill and so, like, I just didn't want to be there suddenly. It was a real sudden moment of slogging up this really, really steep hill. And it was actually, thinking about it now, it was a beautiful night. It was, like, clear skies. You could see all these stars. Yeah. And my mate was just next to me saying, like, oh, and you've got to, you've got to eat that cereal bar. You've got to eat it. And I was like, yeah, I know. I know I've got to eat it, but I just can't then. I feel so ill. I feel so ill. And it, and it was just, like, I can't explain how I feel. Like it's hard, really hard to try and like put it into words. But I just felt so, like helpless almost. Like I couldn't yeah. wanted to carry on racing, and I knew that the only way to do it was to eat this eat this food and to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But all I really wanted to do was get the tent out and go to sleep. Or and like, and I think you know I've had a few moments like that. Uh, that was probably the worst one I've ever had. But like you know where you're just like, oh, why am I even doing this to myself? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Just logging up this crazy steep hill and my legs are screaming at me and my rucksack's digging into my shoulders and people probably are like feel like you know when they did dv or feel the same but this is an optional like i'm doing this and i'm trying <laughs> sure. and i'm trying to win and i'm pushing myself and i guess that's those moments is sort of like i'd love to know like what i can be doing to like or like you know how i how i get on top of that and how i just sort of i don't know yeah like maybe you maybe you have an idea but like it's just those real low moments of like and again it's multifaceted there's all these bits and bobs that make it suddenly really rubbish but it yeah. just is yeah i mean it's difficult because obviously if you're in that situation it's i mean the the quick fix is to eat yeah but yeah obviously i completely relate that it literally is just not that simple it sounds so easy like yeah just stop walking or stop running for a second and just chew and just chew it down but it's not that yeah. easy it's just not that simple um and, and if you don't you know if if you haven't experienced that that feeling of i need to eat but i don't want to you just physically not that you can't you just like the the will to eat is just completely gone yeah it is and it and it and i think a true bonk as we like to call it you know when you have no energy yeah it's not just calorie related it's, it's calorie caused you know you're caught you cause because you haven't got anything but actually, there's a big mental, like, I don't know, do you agree with this? But there's a big mental aspect to it as well. 
Well, it, it shows because, like you say, you know, it happened so quickly. You went from feeling fine or okay at least, running up this really steep hill, and then suddenly everything just came crashing down. Yeah. And that doesn't normally happen in your body. You kind of, there's often a deterioration that happens, which is kind of over a length of time, not just suddenly straight away. You just you go from zero to 100 sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's often completely down to your mind a lot of the time. Um, and so. things, and, and when we were doing DW, one of the things I was thinking about is like your body will go on for an inordinate amount of time. A lot of like for a lot of the these challenges, it's often your mind that goes first, basically. A hundred percent agree. Like your, your mind will stop before your body does. Yeah. Um, unless you you know you break your your ankle or something. Yeah. Um, but even even then, you know, people people in the forces have probably or most definitely been through situations like that where they've had they've had broken bones and had to just keep going and that is purely down to your mind a lot of the time yeah um, when you're in a situation where you maybe fear for your life or something yeah suddenly your mind has the has the strength to just push through that broken bone or whatever it is just because there's a more serious threat yeah. do you ever have you had injuries from this uh I'm, yeah well i'm quite an injury prone person unfortunately um so yeah, I've 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 had injuries in terms of I've had nothing like serious that's happened on the race. Like I've not broken anything, or yeah, um, I maybe got a few bruises or, or things like that. But I've never broken anything in a race. But yeah, I do get a lot of like running injuries and and sort of things like that. But that's also that's often more from the training than the racing. Yeah. So, so how that's that's a good question actually. How do you how do you train for this kind of event? Yeah, so for the longer events, like the one I did the weekend, um, my my formula is basically I think the the, the big important thing. Is, so um, when I lived in Bath, particularly, I had like the Cotswold Way and I had the Cotswolds and lots of nice big hills. And I just basically I'd start the race is always like the last weekend of October, yeah. and I or I generally start in like June or July, but depending on what else I was doing for the year. But I'd just basically start building up my runs every week. So on a weekend, I will like add each weekend, I'll add 2K or 3K to the run. So maybe I'll start like 15K on a Sunday and then 17. And, and I, in an ideal world, I'd get up to about 30K maybe, maybe slightly more before the race. This year, unfortunately, that didn't really happen. I had, I've had problems with my shins and things like that. So maybe got up to maybe 20K, 24K before the race but i think a lot of it is uh, sort of a long big long runs um yeah. is the kind of the key thing and then i just uh, sort of run throughout the week so like nowadays i i've just joined my local athletics track session on a tuesday yeah uh, maybe some hill sprints on a thursday but i'm quite a believer in sort of long steady mileage is is better for me at least because i don't get as injured from it and I still get a decent training stimulus from it because I still get because a lot of my races are long. You know, I was out this weekend. I think I was out in total for nine hours. So, Ouch. no, a base. You just need to you need to have that. So your body just needs to be able to keep firing. It doesn't need to be able to have necessarily the top end speed. Um, that you know you don't need to have the track legs in you. You need to have the ability to keep just slogging on and. Um, maybe in a final sprint or something and both my partner and i did sort of sprint in the last bits but just just that for the fun of it really we didn't need to to be able to win it it was just sort of 
for the fun of it. So actually, the key was to be able to keep going for those nine hours in total. Nine hours to like five hours or four hours or something like that. But um, it's kind of the ability to keep going comes from those longer runs. Yeah, yeah. And oh. I think like if I was to go back, maybe I'd sort of I want to sort of start building some of the strength and conditioning into it a little bit as well because particularly on the fell side a lot of it is sort of this hiking which is sort of like step ups and like you know you're really using like your glutes and quads and things like that and yeah testing the little muscles as well like your ankles and stuff going over and i mean i don't know how many times i fell over this week it sounds weekend. really good for your like general fitness yeah i i think it probably probably is uh i mean yeah i mean the guys in my in my opinion uh, the fittest people in the UK, at least, are probably the the, the top fell runners. I think yeah. they're probably yeah. probably fitter than most most road marathoners. I think, uh, particularly hist- historically, there's been you know evidence in the past where like some of the best fell runners in the UK have gone and done a road marathon and got like the British record or very close yeah. to it. So, yeah. Yeah. although I'm not sure that would quite happen now, those guys are phenomenally fit, and some of the top orienteers are are often very good fell runners because. You're, you're not running like running on a road is tough i'm not denying that the guys that do it really quickly but you're these guys are running through knee-high heather or like brambles up to their waist and they're like imagine this like the power output they must have from their legs to be able to run at the speeds they do through and those it's, kind it's of barely ever flat as well isn't it like let's be honest i mean it's it's never flat <laughs> i don't think <laughs> power racing particularly is normally up a mountain along a little bit and down a mountain or something yeah. you know yeah, uh, or up and over, up and over, up and over until the end, and maybe there'll be like a little bit on the road at the end or something. But yeah, I don't <laughs> think there's much yeah. that's flat. Okay, um, decisions. Um, do you decisions is really interesting to me because decisions are so important, and in the middle of a race, I guess if you're running along, looking at a map, and you have a decision to make, um, do you find your decision making is better when you stop or? Um, do you, like, do you ever dwell on decisions that maybe didn't go quite as well as you thought? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I probably should reflect back on my races a little bit more than I do. Um, you know, if I took my orienteering a little bit more seriously, I probably would look at those decisions a bit closer. Um, I think in terms of how I, how I decision, a lot of it is um, sort of gut instinct and things I sort of picked up over time. Um, so in orienteering, one of the most interesting times where decisions really come into it are, is in urban races. So what they'll often do in an urban race, because it's obviously kind of easier to read a map in an urban race, because it's basically like a road map. Um, they'll sort of put these little tricks in. So they'll use like dead ends and things like that. And um, or they'll make like one. Sneaky. Yeah. They'll have a double level so that I don't know. I can't, it's try, hard to try and explain, but they'll have like. Uh, it'll be on like a bridge, for example, and you need to look at the map and decide if you need to go up and round to the left over the bridge because the control's on top or round to the right and under the road that's underneath because it's underneath and things like that. Yeah. And I think in those situations, sometimes sometimes it pays off because I've made sort of slapdash decisions and I've, I've been lucky. But yeah. um, particularly in a race I did in London recently, I just like probably just more time to make those decisions than I was. And... Um, you know, I was just trying to make them on the run and hoping that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't really affect me too much because I was keen not to hesitate and actually it didn't pay off. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's part of it is this sort of, obviously you don't want to hesitate. You don't want to stand around and be like, which way is it? 
but yeah. you actually do slow down for a minute sometimes and just have a let your eyes focus on the map for that split second longer so you can just see where yeah so is that is that a, a majority of your decision making is it very kind of snap quick like okay yeah, i'm going to go left here rather than right sort of thing yeah so in an urban race there's certainly a lot of it is uh left left versus right or over versus under and things like that um because it's marginal in a forest it's uh you have a little bit more time to make some of the decisions and if if the course has been really well planned then there will be opportunities to make decisions and it will oh i could go down into the valley and back up the other side which means i'm gonna have to climb up and down a lot or i could try and go traverse around the valley which might be a little bit trickier but i won't have to do as much climbing um or it could be like i said earlier i'm going to take the path and i'm going to and in those situations, I try and weigh it up a little bit more because I think then it's versus, like pros versus cons a little bit more rather than a gut decision. Um, and I guess as you get better at orienteering, those decisions up because you're making those like, evaluations quicker and you're doing them within your head sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't really know exactly how I make decisions. I'm trying, trying to think about it and I don't really know the answer. Yeah, um, it's, it's a bit like when someone uh, someone often it's it's difficult because because they're automatic. You often don't think about it when you do it. Yeah, so I some, think so. And the thing, oh, the you... thing about orienteering is I'm trying to make decisions ahead of time as well. Okay. So like, yeah. if I'm running into control two, hopefully we already know at least which direction I'm going to leave to go towards control three. And in an in an ideal world, and like the best guys in the world will already know that what exactly what route they're going to take to number three. And they'll they'll make those decisions, you know, like before they've even got to two sort of thing. So I yeah. must be weighing it up and I must be making those decisions, but exactly how and when I'm doing them, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, no, it is difficult when, it, especially when it's automatic. It's like if someone, yeah. someone said, oh, can you explain how you do a golf swing? Like, I, I, can't, yeah. I can't tell you how I do it. I just do it sort of thing. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really cool. That's so interesting to hear about. Um, what kind of the uh, what would you say if someone was looking to get into it what would you say is the best kind of preparation they can do uh, yes well so the, the, like I said earlier you don't need to worry about your fitness is the first thing so if you are a runner then you're, you're, I'm sure you'll enjoy it if you're not a runner I could enjoy it and it might be a great way to get you into running I know that I got so I've got my girlfriend into orienteering and she absolutely loves it she says like I go out and run 8 or 9k and I don't even think about it. Whereas, yeah. and she doesn't do running, and she's run things like marathons and stuff before. But she's there's much. Then you're then you're just running for the sake of running some of the time, or you're just like you're. Oh, I need to go out and just plod out these ten miles or whatever. Yeah. But actually, you're out orienteering, and you just it like flies by because you just you're just thinking about it. So it actually, might be a good way to get into running. Um, but if people want to like prep for, it, I suppose, I mean, the thing about it is the only really way to get better at it is to do it yeah and there's some uh like there's sort of three different ways or two different ways you can read it you can either go to a local event uh, or, or contact your local club about their local event which is quite a uh uh then they'll normally be really helpful or the other option is like go to a, like a local permanent course is what they call it so sometimes in like um forestry like parks or country parks or things like that they'll have um these like wooden controls and you can just go and pay like a pound or something for a map and then that's a good way to go and just see if you like it but right. i think the nice thing about an event or a local club training session or something is that there'll be people there to explain it to you yeah yeah 
and they'll um because the maps are a little bit unusual and it is just helpful for somebody just to show you what the means which is the start for example and and things like that it's, it, it kind of is can often be a little bit just a bit handy just have those few bits and bobs because everyone else there will know what they're doing and it could feel a bit like out of your depth but people will be there just to help and like sort of give you the give you the help you need at an event so i i'd really just recommend people have a look at like their local club website or their british orienteering or the british orienteering website and just find a local event turn up when you're just on a saturday morning and pay your uh, seven pounds or whatever and, and just like have a go and if you don't enjoy it maybe have another go uh, <laughs> if you do enjoy it though it's like keep coming and people are honestly friendly and are keen to help and always always keen to see a new face as far as i as my experience has been so yeah yeah that's so interesting that's been amazing that's really cool okay cool um yeah i think pretty sure your time is up and i'm out of questions <laughs> um, okay <laughs> uh yeah so thank you so much for coming on i've really enjoyed no talking to you about this it's been really interesting well um, i'm glad yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly inspired. I, I want to do it now. I'm going to go, once we finish this conversation, I'm going to go and look it up. Um, yeah. So well, like, I, near me. If people are interested and people do want information, I mean, those British Orienteering websites are a good place to look, but people can, if anyone knows me who's listening, can contact me or you know, I can give them give you some details to sort of pass on if they want. Cause, yeah, uh, that'd be good. Like yeah. I said, I'm super passionate about the sport and I'm super passionate about other people getting involved in it. So. Uh, yeah. would love to sort of try and facilitate that people are interested yeah awesome okay sweet well um yeah that wraps it up for today thank you everyone for listening thank you Owen, for coming on thank um, you yeah it's been a been a real pleasure i've really enjoyed this um so yeah yeah like he says if if anyone is interested after hearing this i know i certainly am um either get in contact if you know him personally get in contact with him um if you don't uh i'm on the curiosity complexes on facebook instagram message on any of them i'm on twitter as well but i'm not using it i'm just slacking hard on twitter not going very well um but yeah if yeah if you have any questions let me know if you want to be a guest on the show let me know um but yeah cool owen thank you so much um i'll speak to you soon yeah, and yeah everyone else thank you for listening and i'll also see you in the future <laughs>